Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom and his peace, dear friends. Thanks for joining us on The Chosen People, a radio program that comes out each and every week where we look at the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. And it's our goal to help enrich your life because you've been grafted in, you wild olive branches out there. You've been grafted in, and we want you to get a a better understanding of the wonderful Jewish heritage you have in Jesus, our Messiah. Uh, With me is Bobby Walter, who directs our work in New York City. Bobby, welcome. Thank you, Mitch. Shalom to you (laughs) and shalom to all of our listeners out there. As always, we are grateful that you're joining us. Absolutely. And so we are continuing a series on some of the very important events in the life of Jesus uh, in the Gospels. And we're particularly trying to see things from a Jewish perspective, what is sort of Jewish about the way that Jesus says and does things. Of course, Jesus is Jewish, but, you know, uh, as you can tell from uh, what was a King of Kings with Jeffrey Hunter, uh, we had a Jesus there with blonde hair, you know? And so it really is important to see Jesus in his original Jewish context and to try and understand it. And uh, imagine a world where there was absolutely no church. Hmm. And uh, that's what Jesus walked into. There were synagogues around, but the major religious facility for the Jewish people was, of course, the temple. And so you have to see all of this uh, in light of Second Temple Judaism. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah who lived during a very important time in Jewish history. And so I want to ask the question, Bobby, because it's so such a serious issue. And the question is, because we're looking at the crucifixion mm-hmm. now from a Jewish perspective. And so is there anything in the Old Testament that uh, might set the scene for us in understanding the Jewishness of the crucifixion. Would Jesus have known anything about a crucifixion uh, for the Messiah in the Old Testament? Is that in any way detailed? Yeah, yeah, it's actually a really good question. And you're right, Mitch, this is a, uh, it's a very heavy topic today, the crucifixion, because of how gruesome it was. I mean, it was a, just a hor- horrific form of torture and, uh, and death. Um, and when we look in the Old Testament, we do see, even though when the Old Testament was written, uh, crucifixion wasn't really, um, you know, used at that point yet. It hadn't really been thought of or institutionalized by Rome uh, by that point, because honestly, during most of the Old Testament, there was no Rome yet. Um, So this Roman form of torture, crucifixion, uh, had not even been invented. But we do have statements in the Old Testament uh, that point to the death of the Messiah, right? The death of the anointed one, the servant of the Lord, uh, the suffering servant of the Lord. And uh, some of the descriptions that are used in the Old Testament uh, sound a lot like crucifixion. And the first place to go to is Psalm 22, which I think is also, you know, we have an added measure of importance or significance in connecting Psalm 22 with crucifixion, because as Jesus was crucified and hanging on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22. He said, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when we look 
uh, further where the, the descriptions of the suffering that this, uh, again, special servant of the Lord endures uh, begin to sound a lot like what Jesus experienced when he was crucified. So Psalm 22, beginning in verse 13, I'll read all the way through verse 16. It says, They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Hmm. So, you know, that, that passage right there, that verse right there, again, they've pierced my hands and my feet, uh, sounds a lot like crucifixion. Uh, yeah. Now, Mitch, there are other passages in the Old Testament, and uh, I know that you want to share about uh, one very important one that I think you're certainly qualified to share about this because you wrote a book on it, uh, and that is yes. Isaiah 53. <laughs> yeah, I did write a book on it. Um, a lot of people say, you wrote Isaiah 53. I said, well, not quite. <laughs> I, I, I wrote Isaiah 53 explained. We explained it. And... But uh, let me just call attention to Isaiah 53, verse 4. Uh, the prophet says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We saw him suffering and thought that he was suffering for his own sins, but actually he was suffering for ours. Verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. And uh, you notice the pierce through that almost links us with Psalm 22 in some ways. Mm -hmm. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. And uh, the word transgressions is one of the Hebrew words for sin, and it refers to rebellions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Again, another very strong term because, uh, you know, when someone was hanging on a cross, actually their rib cage was falling on their the rest of their body and um, most people die from uh, suffocation actually and uh, so your trachea was in a sense being crushed uh, when you were hanging on a crucifixion stick he was crushed for our iniquities that's the hebrew word avon which means crooked compared to the law we are all bent and misshapen uh, we don't keep the standard of the law and so he experienced piercing for our rebellion and crushing for our uh, crookedness. And then the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. So the chastening for our well-being, again, the punishment uh, for our shalom, for our well-being. So um, he experienced punishment, and we experienced peace, when it really should have been him experiencing peace, and we experiencing punishment, because we sinned, not him. I love Second Corinthians 5.21, where Paul, I think, gave a commentary on Isaiah 53. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he deserved, we received. What we deserved, he received. And so people can say that's unfair, but Bobby, we call it grace. Mm -hmm. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so crucifixion, uh, was in the Old Testament, and there's no doubt about it. It was uh, predicted, and there's a lot more to it. Uh, and so 
if we begin to try and understand the Jewishness of the crucifixion, we can understand that even though crucifixion was not, so to speak, in um, a general use during the Old Testament period, it was in general use during the New Testament period. And so the prophets predicted a crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. And so, in effect, it was a fulfilled prophecy, a gruesome uh, fulfilled prophecy. But we're so glad that he loved us so much that he did that on our behalf. There's a little bit more about the story Mm -hmm. that makes us understand it as more Jewish. And uh, there's a lot of conversations people have had through the years about uh, the trials uh, of Jesus. In Matthew 27, Pilate offered actually to set Jesus free if the crowd wanted it. But the chief priests and the elders in verses 12 and 20 of 27 refused and actually called for his crucifixion with these very well-known words. And that has been used throughout the centuries as a very anti-Semitic trope. Right, right. As if the Jewish leaders who cried out for this in the first century had some type of control of how God would judge people in future centuries, which is absolutely patently untrue. And so the Jewish people indeed said that. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe it's accurate that they said it. We just don't believe it's accurate in believing that God would do that because God never said that he would uh, judge Jewish people because of any participation in the crucifixion of Jesus any more than God would bring special judgment upon the Romans. Right. So that every Italian who would ever live would be judged for their participation in the crucifixion of Jesus, even though they weren't there. And so we have to understand that uh, this is not uh, true. Now, after the trial, his crucifixion occurred on the 14th of Nisan. So Jesus died probably around the time of the afternoon sacrifices, which were offered in the temple. John's sixth hour and Mark's third hour in Mark 15.25 can be harmonized if we understand that John, the gospel writer, used the Roman way of telling time, which would make it the sixth hour, and Mark used the Jewish way of telling time, which would have been the third hour. Uh, So... Now the question is, what was special about that day? Was it a coincidence that he died on that day? Or, Bobby, was there a particular holiday that was being observed by the Jewish people that would give an incredible Jewish context to what was happening with Jesus? Right. Want to explain it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously it was not a coincidence. Uh, it was Passover, and uh, it's, it's hugely significant uh, because God could have chosen any day in the calendar year to have his only begotten son become that one and only sacrifice that has ever had any true power to atone for our sins. But he chose to do it on the Passover. Uh, and, you know, there are many connections and, and straight lines that could be drawn from the events of the Exodus and the first Passover in Egypt with what uh, Yeshua, Jesus, accomplished on the cross as he died on the Passover. Um you know, essentially to boil it all down, uh, Jesus became our Passover lamb. 
he became that perfect, spotless, unblemished, sacrificial lamb uh, whose blood was shed and made available to people to have it applied not to the lintel and doorposts of their homes, but applied to our hearts. And when we do that, our status changes. Just like the Israelites, when they put the blood of the lamb on their homes in Egypt, their status changed. They were delivered. They were no longer slaves, no longer slaves to Pharaoh. They were brought out from that existence, brought out from that slavery, and they became children of God, a nation of God. Uh, And so too, in and through Yeshua, by placing our faith in him uh, and having his blood applied to our hearts, our lives, uh, we are changed. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are now free. We're delivered. We're righteous. We're forgiven. Uh, and we are rightfully children of God. That's right. So the great Dallas Theological Seminary New Testament professor, Howard Honer, actually summarized the whole uh, timing of this quite well. He writes, Jesus predicted he would die and be raised on the third day. Matthew 16, 21, Mark 8, 31, and Luke 29, 22. When one reads these events in the Gospels, one clearly receives the impression that Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus' body was laid in the tomb on the evening of the day of preparation, Friday, the day before the Sabbath. The women returned home and rested on the Sabbath on Saturday, and then they saw that the tomb was empty on the Sunday, which of course was the feast of first fruits. He died on Passover, he rose on first fruit. What a Jewish context. God used the festivals as a roadmap of redemption. Chosen People Ministries exist to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people all across the world. And we also want to help equip fellow believers to do the same. Our mission was founded in 1894 by Rabbi Leopold Cohn, and we have a zeal to share the knowledge of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, with God's chosen people. If you'd like to help us do the same, we invite you to go online and learn more. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio. Well, dear friends, we have such an exciting opportunity for you to go deeper, to learn more about the Jewish roots of the faith, to understand the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. We have now begun what we call Chosen People Bible Institute, CPBI. And we're so excited about Chosen People Bible Institute. We have five or six courses already developed, and we have an introductory course that I think you're going to love, and it will really give you a feel for the rest of the courses. And this is a course on the Fall Feasts of Israel. That's New Year's, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. And all three of these festivals, of course, point to Jesus the Messiah, something about God's plan and purposes through him. And so you can go to chosenpeople.com slash radio, chosenpeople.com slash radio, and find out about this introductory course on the Fall Feasts of Israel and learn more about Chosen People Bible Institute. I'm sure that there will be a number of courses that you will want to take because they will enrich your heart and your soul. Well, right now we're going to hear from Jonathan Miller. 
When Jonathan asked his rabbi, how can I know God? The question was met with an accusation of blasphemy. But what Jonathan didn't know at the time was that God would answer his question personally and not in the way he expected. You're going to love Jonathan's testimony. What a great man of God. So I went to my rabbi and I looked him in the face and I said, Rabbi, tell me, how can I know God? And he looked at me and he was angry and he picked up his umbrella and he gave me a big (coughs) on the head. He said, that's blasphemy. Get out of here. We grew up celebrating the holidays and keeping all the mitzvot. Went to a Jewish school, a kippah, the tzitziot. But inside, I didn't know God. And I, I felt that there was, there was something not right, that I should have some connection. But I didn't have answers. I saw the fighting that went on and the hypocrisy and the backbiting and went through, through my bar mitzvah in the shul. Then after my bar mitzvah, and I started to question more and more, I fulfilled what every good Yiddish mama wants from her son. He has to be either a doctor or a lawyer. I wanted to be the doctor. So I'm studying hard, and by the age of 16, I was able to be accepted to medical school. That was my dream. But there was this growing emptiness in me. That wasn't going to fulfill me. That wasn't going to make me a whole person. But I didn't know what to do. For the first time in my life, a student came up to me. He looked me in the eye. He said, Do you know Jesus? That was a total shock to me. Because in our home, Jesus was, was like a curse word. The Gentiles and the other so-called Christians, we thought they all hated us. I thought the... New Testament was an anti-Semitic book, that it was teaching Christians how to hate the Jews. I was angry with this this fellow. He's telling me that Jesus was the one that could take away my sin. Well, I didn't feel like a sinner. He was the one that could save me. I didn't feel like I needed saving. But then he did tell me that I could have a relationship with God. Now that started to make a little sense to me. I wanted a relationship with God, but I, I certainly didn't want it in this kind of way. Well, after toing and froing, we spent actually several hours going back and forth. He's telling me that Jesus is the door, he's the way, he's, he's the truth, atonement. Well, I understood atonement. Over the course of the next weeks, this girl began to also talk with me, and she was a follower of Jesus too. Finally, she persuaded me. She said, look, start reading in this book, the New Testament. And I opened it. I was a little nervous opening, but I I started to open and I was amazed. I started to read about Yeshua, Jesus, and I was shocked to find he was Jewish. (laughs) I didn't know he was Jewish. I didn't know the disciples were Jewish. I didn't know that the whole thing was Jewish. I thought, wow, if this is really true, If Jesus really is the promised one, the Mashiach, if he truly came to be the kapra, the covering for the wrong I've done, my eyes began to open and I started to realize there was a barrier between me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, between myself and God. I'm not holy enough, I'm not righteous enough. And if that can be taken away, then 
maybe I'll know God. And then I started to study the prophecies that talked about the one who would come, who would be the Lamb of, of God. He'd be the, like Abram, offering up Isaac. I read Isaiah 53, that he was a suffering servant, the one who was put to death for our transgressions, that by his stripes that we can be healed. This is what I want. This is what I need. I was I was joyed, overjoyed. But what will my parents think? What will the family think? Jews don't believe in Yeshua. And then I started weighing the cost. What What's it going to mean for me? Do I want to be cut off? Nothing else matters more than knowing God. And like Abram Avinu, I started a walk of faith. I said, God, I'm looking to you to guide me, to lead me. And I want to follow you. All my, all my days, I want to give everything to you. And I knew I'd found the truth. And I knew that I was a completed Jew now. Not just from my Brit Milah, my circumcision in the flesh, but now I had a new circumcised heart, a new covenant. If you can look at the heart of King David in the Psalms, if you can look at these prophecies, if you can read Isaiah 53, and see the Mashiach, he is the one. He will bring you that relationship that you you long for and that you're trying through all your davening and your mitzvot to reach. He's already reached it. He's completed it. Believe in him. Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. To learn more about this weekly program or how you can connect with us today, visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And when you reach out, we'll send you a 2324 calendar, a Jewish calendar, a messianic calendar, free of charge. What do you think of that, Bobby? Love it. Yeah. And the theme this year is praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6 tells us to pray, commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And with this calendar, you'll be able to focus on a dozen different areas, important areas of concern. And because prayer changes things, we'll expect that God will work through your prayers and make wonderful transformations, especially your prayer that Israeli Jewish people will come to faith in Jesus the Messiah. So request your free copy. It's available online at chosenpeople.com slash radio or ask for the calendar today and call 888 the number 2 yeshua y e s h u a is hebrew name that number again 888 293 7482
too. You can also ask for the Praying for the Peace of Jerusalem calendar when you write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. And now let's wrap up today's message with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.